0: So it was a great win, but it was very painful and a lot of politics, a lot of Excel sheets, a lot of extracting data from multiple places, um, a lot of scepticism and opinions in the conversations instead of data and, and knowledge.
1: All right, everybody, welcome back to the Clearview podcast. Welcome back to Founder Vision. I am Brett Kistler, your host, and I am speaking with Pablo Ferrari today. Pablo Ferrari is the co founder of Process Labs, processlabs.ai. How are you doing today, Pablo?
0: Great, Brett. Thanks for having me here.
1: Yeah, it's good to have you. So tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing at Process Labs.
0: Right. So, in a nutshell, we are helping software engineering teams to become the best version of themselves. So Mm. that it's, it's very broad, and there are a lot of things to really achieve that. Where we're starting right now is in becoming a single source of truth of all the software engineering data in a company, how they build what they build, and analyze that process to find improvement opportunities as a team, and to better report and align with the rest of the organization. That's where we are right now.
1: Oh, fascinating. Can you tell me, paint me a little bit of a picture of how that might work in practice?
0: Yeah. Uh, So for example, let's say we have a team who is using a ticketing tool or a project management tool like Jira, and the, the product team decides a user story that needs to be developed, so they create this user story. Then an engineer lead creates some engineering tasks out of that story that becomes code in GitHub or GitLab, the code repository, and that eventually has a pull request and becomes uh, tested and deployed by something like Jenkins. So all these, mm-hmm. all these tools and all these process is very siloed. All this information is in different systems and different formats. And right. So what we do is that we ingest all these events, we normalize them, we create what we call a time lock, so the lock of what has happened in time and we reverse engineer your process. So we show you actually a graph of your process map, what everything has happened and in what order and what times in between. That's like the starting point. So you get to really know how you work, not how you think you're working, but how you really know how you work. And from there, you can start digging into parts of the processes and find certain behaviors to improve. Or you can see at the whole thing. So a common thing we see, it's in the pull request process. You know, uh, managers or teams, they have an idea of how the pull request process should be. And when they see the actual data, they're very surprised. Like sometimes, you know, the time since a pull request is approved until it's merged is way longer than what it took to code the thing, uh, Hmm. because it got approved and abandoned. And they were not aware of it. Or sometimes you see code directly go into the code repository, and the next event that happens is that it goes deployed into production with no test in between, not even code review, and they're very surprised when they see these anti-patterns because of it's not their best practices. So we allow them to see it and create rules on top of it, saying, hey, if this ever happens, block it or let me know in Slack. That's, that's how it looks like.
1: Uh, oh, and okay. of course,
0: a lot of dashboards and graphs, you know, dashboards and graphs are useful. So we show, we can show you like your cycle time, how long it takes since a developer starts coding something until it's deployed in production. That's the cycle time. And when cycle time is high, you can click on it and we drill down into your process. We say, well, this, this cycle time is this long and now you can see how it happened. So you can take actions and improve it.
1: Oh, beautiful. So this is like kind of like what Git does for managing a code base and analyzing all the commits and the branches and the merges. This is another meta layer on top of that that manages the entire communication process of the dev team and each of the steps that they take to consolidate towards a product
0: correct and across the tools yes yeah. so that's when tools. it becomes yeah. very powerful because also then you can start um, reminding people on slack about things if they didn't do it and it's a practi- best practice in the company you can automate work that it can be automated across tools so yeah, that's when the the fun starts and now we are we are tapping into a new data source which is engineers brains so there is mm-hmm. a lot of information in engineers brains so we're starting now to do engineering surveys we are uh, so when our system thinks that you might have for example um a problem with technical debt um you may need to refactor we propose the managers to launch an anonymous survey to the engineers with some questions about that. Like, hey, do you think there is too much technical debt? In what models? What would be the solution, in your opinion? And that allows for the upper management to take better strategic decisions, knowing what the lab thinks anonymously. Uh, and it's just an example. We do this with many mm-hmm. other things, like retrospecting meetings after sprint or, or um, also uh, surveys about, do you have too many meetings? You know, we are seeing in your time right. that uh, you're you having a calendar full of meetings. Like, what do engineers anonymously think? Because many times, we engineers, we are not the most, um, how would you say, the most extroverts. Uh, we, we, we don't express ourselves that easily in front of others. We, it's, and we've discovered doing this anonymously, um, this, we can discover a lot of improvements for the company. In, in many things, mm-hmm. we even ask them about what product features do you think you should be developing? Uh, do you understand the value of the product features you are creating? Um, teams don't usually ask engineers about the product and the value, and they know a lot because they are very into it. So, so we we are getting also these new data source.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like you're what you're doing is you're automating many of the layers of middle engineering management, and in in the way that automation goes, there's the. There's the sort of taking that task away, no human is needed for this anymore. And then there's what it opens them up to do. And it sounds like it opens opens that layer of management and upper management up to analyze in much more detail what's actually going on with more news from the ground, with developers themselves feeling more supported because they like, you know, their their experience as a developer and their opinion of the code base can become more of a part of a, a conversation. And so a lot more of the human level coordination and the human level conversations and meetings can be around those important issues and less around trying to figure out what's actually going on.
0: Right, right. I mean, you stepped like a couple of years or decades ahead in our vision with all this <laughs> you said. For now, we're helping um, middleman, middle, middle managers, so project managers, product managers, scrum masters to be better, to be more efficient. And if they can do five more times what they do today or 10 more times what they do today, not fully automate them. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely in the process we're, we're taking. Mm-hmm. And and the other good thing about all this data, uh, other than automation and, and is in collaboration, is that you can now interface with the business stakeholders better. Usually, you know, business people don't know what's going on in engineering, uh, unless you are a very technical business person, which in your case you probably are, so you can know. But most of business in, uh, people of engineering companies, for them, software engineering is just a big budget in the P&L. This is what we do. We are spending all this money. I don't really know how their day-to-day operations aligns with my business priorities. I don't really know if they're working more in Mm -hmm. uh, one objective or another. Uh, If they ask me for more people to hire, I don't really know if I can take a decision correctly. So we are... Uh, easing, making easier having data-driven conversations between engineering and the other orcs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's a there's a common tension that occurs within companies, within tech companies, where you have you have the business side or the product side, and then engineering. There's there's this engineering process which mirrors and maps any organization's process any organization of of people working together there's this information flow and you know somebody who's the head of a large organization really what one of the things that they're really responsible for is managing the flow of data and information and resources through the company and one of the things that's really common, it seems, is that in the tech world, in the tech portion of a company, that can be sort of siloed as, well, you know, you product people, you business people don't really understand how we do it in tech. And so like let us just handle this. And so sometimes that happens, sometimes the partnership can be can be beneficial. There might be tech management that is really on top of that and knows how to translate to the business side. And also there's a lot of information lost, and you might as a as the the business uh, the business lead be missing some really important story of inefficiency that really hinders you for a very long time without having some insight into it that is translated into words that you can or words or pictures that you can understand
0: yeah two examples of though of that with clients we have for example one one with a CEO and the CTO relationship in a mm-hmm. fifty person fifty people startup. Uh, the, the CTO wanted to refactor like stop that's how they call it we're gonna stop three months and refactor and the CEO that's when they hired us saying hey you know my CTO is crazy he wants to stop for three months this is gonna kill us so he said well you know let's let's analyze the data let's see if if we can help you have a better conversation with your CTO and, and align in a decision and when he saw, we, we analyze how much refactor you've done. It's another of the things we do uh, retro, retrospectively. So we can see your whole history in your tools. So when we showed the CEO that they only did one big refactoring effort last August, and all their engineering metrics improved a lot after that mm. refactoring, like the cycle times, the quality, the defects escape rate, all improved a lot. And now the those metrics were building up again to very bad uh, thresholds. Uh, when he saw that, he said, oh, now I understand the return on investment of refactoring. I invest in refactoring and I get a more efficient uh, software factory.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, like, he was like, we definitely need to refactor after seeing that. So he, he went from, I want to uh, fire the CTO because he wants to stop to say, please do refactor and do it every month a little bit instead of wait until it almost kills us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What an amazing reversal of <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of traditional roles there. Because in, in my experience, it's always been some like uphill battle that the engineering team right. is fighting to get to upper management and say, hey, guys, look, I know you want all these features, but we really need to take a pause, step back and refactor. And right. there's just all of this resistance to it. But I, I could imagine that if, if this is functioning the way that you envision it, you could have the inverse where a CEO is like, hey, hey, engineering team. I'm, I see what's going on. Why don't you guys put the pause on the features? Let's take some time and invest in the refactoring right. and the engineering. Being like, okay, great. I was about to say that myself, but I didn't even have to like, didn't have to like advocate and fight.
0: Right. When you see the average cost per feature going up, constantly up, and now it's getting to levels where it's it's way above industry uh, benchmarks that we give, then is when they start saying like, <clears throat> okay, how can I reduce the average cost per feature? <clears throat> and they they understand this return on investment that's the key measuring the return on investment of engineering is what business needs to understand and it's very hard so we help in that
1: yeah. yeah so so tell me tell me kind of a an example uh prototype user story where let's say a small company comes comes to you and or maybe what your whether it's larger companies or small companies what your ideal audience would be somebody who comes from traditional processes starts using your system and then starts to get some benefit. What does that look like? What do they start with? What are the first integrations that they make? How do they work this into their workflow and start generating insight?
0: Well, there are very different segments, uh, but those that I think we, we help easier, faster and better is with uh, fast growing companies. When a company gets way too big, the data compliance gets very hard, to, so actually to integrate with all their, all their tools become a pain because of their security teams and compliance. It takes nine months or a year, while a startup who is growing very fast, they have different problems. They are losing control of their engineering teams. They start not knowing the names of their engineers. They start losing control of the methodology and best practices, and they don't have these strong data compliance needs yet. Those are, I'd say, a sweet spot to mm. help them. Uh, so they, Sounds like us. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> so they can see, uh, you know, like they had a way of working and and now they are hiring multiple teams, sometimes even acquiring full companies when they fast grow. So they suddenly have teams who want to work with different methodologies in different ways. And they all believe they have this, the best one. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> what we provide them, it's a tool to actually compare their methodologies, to see how it looks like, and to measure their metrics. So now it's not a matter of, yeah, you's, just you telling me that your methodology is better, is that now I can see if your quality and speed is better, and if your bar- burnout of engineers is low, and they're happier. Now now we can start putting data into all these opinions and, and make decisions. Interesting. So that becomes very interesting for those teams. And when for me, an ideal customer is one who is full of problems because the more problems they have, they share those problems with us. We're an early stage startup, so we want more problems for us. Clients problems are requirements for our platform. So, so, yeah, the the more problems they have, the better. Um, even though they need to be a successful company growing fast, usually, you know, you, you I, I suppose you prefer to grow with your clients, with your customers, not not really get small teams who are uh, doing bad and may die as a company soon, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, fast-growing, successful teams with a lot of problems uh, about about the process. Uh, so, for example, highly regulated industries like pharma, you know, uh, defense, space, they need. Different type of software development compliance processes. So for them, we can give an extra help. Uh, if you're not that, if you're the more classic innovation startup, you know, move fast and break things. Um, it's we can also help, but uh, we need the client to understand the power of measure. You know, you. You don't improve what you don't measure. So sometimes they have their own opinion. They are like, oh, I've been doing this 20 years. I don't need any data. It's like, okay, that's a client that usually doesn't last long with us.
1: Right. Yeah, so there's there's something interesting in that where uh, one of the things that you're doing is you're removing some of the silos of information. But also what that enables is that you, you said that you could have different teams operating in different ways with different methodologies. And then you could... If you if you didn't have this kind of data, it would you'd kind of have to standardize things somewhat or you just kind of trusting that, you know, some portions of your business would be lagging way behind others and then you might have coordination problems. But if you're able to actually see how things are going, then it enables that ability to have multiple experiments run because you can then course correct and then cross the, you know, the information from one to another and see what's working here might work over there and what's not working there. And Correct. that's actually interesting for a company like mine because we are we're a service-oriented company with a number of clients. So we're actually integrated to a bunch of different teams on a bunch of different uh, methodologies and platforms. And I'm actually curious how how that might work for a company like us if we were if we were to implement this uh, implement this this system in these methodologies. How would that work for a company whose work is fragmented across other client organizations?
0: Well, I'm I'm looking forward to integrate with your tools, uh, show you for free, you know how you work, use it for free a couple of weeks, and if you find value, become like a client. Uh, a challenge that I see right now is uh, if you're working in your own tools, so you own your data of how you mm-hmm. work, or you are working in your clients' tools, maybe, right. you know, in their code repo or their JIRA instances, because then we enter the data compliance problem with those clients. Yeah,
1: you need uh, them to adopt in order for us to be able to use it
0: right right and some feedback we've got from tech consultancy companies is that uh, it helps them standardize how they work and better predict how if they're going to be on time or not and the effort that is going to take which is important for them and at the same time they see um, a threat in giving too much visibility to their clients because we our tool gives amazing transparency. So sometimes they, and we're building some features now so you can create customized dashboards so you show only what you want because at, at the beginning, we we're just thinking in product companies. So all transparency is welcome. You're all one team. You're all creating one product. But with consultancy companies working for multiple clients, is not always the case. So we're building some features for that and happy to get your feedback. Like we need this extra. We cannot, you know, we we need that other feature each segment is different that's the thing
1: yeah yeah it's fascinating that seems like a rabbit hole that we could explore um another time something else that i'd like to get into is your your journey as a co-founder i'm I'm curious where the idea for process labs came from i what some of the best ideas come from a lot of pain (laughs) right a lot of pain in the workplace like just something you just couldn't handle anymore as a as a bottleneck and it, it seems Seems like that might be really relevant here, and I'm yeah. curious to hear some of your story. So,
0: <clears throat> Process Labs. The idea comes from a mix of two of two situations. Uh, I was working as the head of artificial intelligence in a speech recognition and natural language processing company. We would do projects for Intel or Sprint or SoftBank, those type of companies. So we were tech consultants for speech AI NLP. And um, when I joined the company, their processes were a mess. Like, not, they didn't even have code reviews, uh, whatever you, you code and it goes directly into production. The, the managers would do the tests when they were in production. It was a mess. So, it was very painful. Uh, you know, clients not being happy, very long weekends, engineers burning out. It was very painful. So, we, we implemented some new processes in place. You know, we said, hey, we should work this other way getting the requirements, um, coding uh, with a similar style, all of us um, agreeing on a big picture, having some process for quality. We didn't have any quality assurance at the time. It was crazy um, because they were saying, we need to move faster than having quality assurance. And I was like, well, I think we can move faster if we have good quality. You know, it's not yeah. speed is not it doesn't go against quality. Slow These is all fast, trade-offs. fast is slow. There are limits and there are situations, but, but it, it, it's a matter of trade-off. So, When I wanted to implement this process, I got a lot of um, skepticism from the old guard of the company, saying, hey, we are great engineers. We've been doing this. This is a successful company for the last 10 years. How are you going to come here and tell us how to work and what to do? So a lot of skepticism and politics to actually need to change this in the company. Uh, But I managed to get a, a small team of believers and we were able to create our own process in this small team. And we measured the results of our team versus others. And the result was simply way better. It, it was easy to do because they had very little processes. So suddenly, the engineers in our projects were not having any more you know, late nights, not using the weekends anymore. Even the CEO of the company was telling me like, hey, can you make them work in the weekends again? And I was like, well, we don't need it. You know, We're we delivering everything we need faster and with better quality. Let them rest and enjoy their life. So they, they were like, I don't understand how you're doing this. So we we showed to the management our process and the metrics, and they decided to change the whole company, the whole process of the companies and how we assemble the team. So it was a great win, but it was very painful. And a lot of politics, a lot of Excel sheets, a lot of extracting data from multiple places, um, a lot of skepticism and opinions in the conversations instead of data and, and knowledge. So. That was when I was saying like, you know, we should, we could have built a tool to help us with this. And at the same time, one of our clients, a big bank was asking me for a solution. He called it a process cognitive engine. He was saying, I want you to build a machine for me that is aware of all the processes in my company and can make decisions uh, when sees that things happen or recommendations. And um, our company at the time didn't want to get into that problem, but I got very excited by it, and I ended up mixing both things. I would say, like, I could build, okay, like, <clears throat> being aware of all the processes of a, of a company can be way too much, but I can choose one type of process and add a lot of value on it, and mm-hmm. we chose uh, software engineering and R&D.
1: Yeah, I think that's something worth double-clicking on right there, that... You know, somebody approached you with this big dream of like, I want a cognitive process engine that's going to just understand everything that's going on in my business. And, you know, some people would would see would hear that and be like, OK, this person's not really connected to reality. Uh, that's just like not something we can do. And it sounds like many people uh, around you had that reaction it was just like, right. well, that's not something we can tackle. And you All were right. like, well, that's not something we can tackle in its entirety to start with but there's something we can do and from there we can iterate and right. that, that's really I think the the key point where a startup is created is like there's this ocean we can boil and we don't have to be discouraged about not being able to boil that ocean what can we do
0: right it, it would take us ten a decade to build that so actually our vision is to to optimize all processes, to measure and optimize all processes—that would be a, the vision of the company. But we had to start with something achievable in short term that we can validate. If we can build it, we can validate if we are adding value to clients, and we can expand from it. So that's that's when we started in in software development processes, and probably soon we are going to expand into the process of customer support and IT support because it's very close. So, looking at the process of where the idea of the code comes from. We want to map from idea to deployment. Sometimes the idea comes from product, but sometimes it comes from a customer ticket, uh, from customer support. So we want to expand to more tools in the process to to see the whole thing, eventually Mm -hmm. the whole company. But as I tell you, that can take a decade.
1: Yeah. So uh, as we wrap up, I want to hear, I I, I always love to ask this kind of a question near the end. And what, What's one thing that you've learned about yourself through business that changed yourself as much as the business?
0: Right. Um, So I'm going to borrow the sentence from someone else because he convinced me, so it's not mine. It's from uh, this Navy SEAL guy, Yoko Willings. It's that Hmm. discipline equals freedom. The more discipline I've been getting into myself, into diet and exercise and waking up, soon and doing things that that are really not pleasant but you must do and you go ahead and do them fast like improving my discipline have improved my freedom to create and achieve Mm. my ability
1: yeah tell me i'm I'm really curious about what discipline means to you and how how you approach discipline from a place that doesn't create self-judgment or self-criticism but comes from the desire to
0: right so i i take like a, a vision of the, the mental exercise is uh, what I want to become in in a few years' time as a person. You know, like I would like to, I don't know, be stronger, be faster, be smarter, know more about this area, know more about that other. Learn to play guitar. Like what things are inside my my, uh, and I don't overthink it. It's like let's get let's use intuition and put a bunch of things in a piece of paper. You know, like so I do that and. And I say, OK, if I want to achieve these things, what is a realistic plan? How can I, uh, out of the hours that a week has, how can I start putting a few into each one of these things? And sometimes I need something before that. Like, let's say I want to learn how to surf. Like, I've surfed a little bit, and it's been super fun. And I want to become a better surfer. Um, and I realize my body is not ready. Like, I'm a bit fat. I don't have the elasticity. So like, OK, you know I'm going to start surfing Let's start easy, like one day a week, but every week I'm not going to miss it. Mm-hmm. So my first goal is to not quit surfing for three months. Three months, mm. every week, at least one day. That Creating would be consistency. A, yeah example of a discipline auto-imposed for something I want. Um, maybe you go a, a bit farther and you say, you know what? Some elax- elasticity would, could really help my pop-up. I'm going to do five minutes, something very simple, but every time. Five minutes. Every morning or every night, but every day I must have done five minutes of uh, stretching. Um, And when you make these little changes and you compound these little changes over a long period of time, well, long for a year or a few months, the changes are amazing. You change a lot. With these small changes, so we, don't, we tend not to think that they are important. It's like, oh, five minutes stretching. I can skip it one day. But no, no, don't, don't skip it one day because you now you're getting used to skip it. Now it's the way you function. You're going to skip it any other time.
1: You yeah. don't want
0: to do it today. Today's is a day for discipline. You know, today, that's what I would say. Then it's, its I don't do it for joy or I don't do it for passion or I don't do it for motivation. I do it for a rational future I'm looking for and I'm using discipline now.
1: Yeah, or even the joy of feeling consistent because there is, there is joy yes. that comes out of this at the end um, or totally throughout agree. the process.
0: When you are done, yeah, when you are on the top of the hill, you've just climbed yeah, You look at it and you, are, you feel great. But during your do it, sometimes you really don't want to do it. That's, that's when I apply the sentence to myself, that when I really don't want to do it, but I believe rationally that it's good for me in the long term or midterm, is when I say, hey, Pablo, discipline, man, discipline is going to give you what you're looking for.
1: Yeah, something that's really interesting to me right now and seeing this is that the product that you're building is actually something that enables people to take this methodology that you have towards your life and place it into their business. And, and, I didn't like, think about Okay, hey, so we just sense. developed a feature. Let's deploy the feature. Let's not wait forever. Like just creating, creating that uh, set of consistency, and you know that leading to you know, leading to the, the better outcomes than kind of getting stuck in the process.
0: Right, and we also don't tell them how to work. We don't tell them what process is best. We just right. tell them, this is how you work, create some rules and ensure it happens. And find and, what works for yeah, you. Yeah, or, or and, and get multiple teams, do experiments, as you were saying, see which one was better for who and for what, and and yeah, that that's how you, your, your best practices, you know, we don't, yeah. we're agnostic about type of process.
1: Beautiful. Well, Pablo, it's been really fascinating to get an insight into your processes that you use to help others understand their processes. And uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you, Red. Me too, I, I, I enjoyed it a lot.